0: Rejection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Saturday, July 9th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, July 10th, 2022. My name is Reese Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-host, Jasmine Smith and Emily Scott. How's it going, Jasmine?
1: You know, same thing I say every week, hanging in there, you know, trying to stay grounded and not spiral too, too much. So,
0: Right. Yeah, it definitely takes effort these days, that's for sure. Way more effort than than we give ourselves credit for. I'm not going to say that it used to, because ain't too much change under the sun, right?
1: <laughs> no, no, unfortunately not.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm hanging in here as well, over here in San Diego. So on the docket for today's show, our local news segment is about a new build that could make construction work less deadly. Our national news segment, we will be talking about the Highland Park shooting in Illinois. On world news, we will have a story about the global food crisis and how the war in Ukraine is contributing to global food insecurity. We're going to go ahead and kick off today's episode with our local news segment. Emily, you're up.
2: Hi, everybody. Um, I hope everyone is having a decent week. The world has not gotten any less crazy since the last time I checked in. But uh, again, this is Emily, and here is the local news for the week. So this story comes from a July 7th New York Times article by Karen Zrake titled How a Long-Sought Bill Could Make Construction Work Less Deadly. Carlos Moncayo, 22, died seven years ago at a Manhattan construction site. A bill on Governor Kathy Hochul's desk aims to make conditions safer for workers like him. The article, and I'm just going to read mostly directly from the article. Um, It explains, quote: Carlos Moncayo was just 22 when he was crushed to death by thousands of pounds of dirt at a construction site in Manhattan's meatpacking district. More than seven years later, a construction safety bill named after him could become law if Governor Kathy Hochul chooses to sign it. The legislation, known as Carlos's Law, would dramatically raise the fines faced by corporations for construction accidents that result in criminal convictions. While the bill passed both houses of the state legislature on the final day of the session last month, Ms. Hochul's office has said only that she was reviewing it. Prosecutions for injuries or deaths on construction sites are exceedingly rare nationwide, but the Moncayo case was an exception. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office pursued charges and the general contractor, Arco, Harco Construction, was found guilty of manslaughter, criminally neg- negligent homicide, and reckless endangerment. The company was ultimately sentenced to pay just $10,000 because of state-imposed limits on corporate penalties. The district attorney at the time, Cyrus R. Vance Jr., denounced the outcome, saying the fine was merely monopoly money for the company. Supporters of Carlos's law say that the specter of much higher fines in such cases would deter uh, would deter contractors from cutting corners on safety, sometimes with perilous consequences. The city's Department of Buildings has recorded 84 construction-related fatalities since 2015. Statistics shows that deaths are more likely at non-union sites where workers may face pressure to comply with unreasonable demands. Diana Florence, who served as the lead prosecutor on Mr. Moncayo's case, said in an interview that many construction injuries and even deaths are not properly investigated from the outset. From the outset. But the Moncayo case hinged on a coincidence. A police supervisor who responded to the scene had once worked in construction, and he immediately recognized that the pit that Mr. Moncayo was working in was not reinforced, as it should have been. He realized that the trench was basically a ticking time bomb, Ms. Florence said. Prosecutors would later argue that supervisors had ordered Mr. Moncayo, who was undocumented and did not belong to a union, to go into the pit despite the danger because the project was behind schedule. The site they were working on near the High Line had once been the restaurant Pastis and was being turned into a restoration hardware store. The case spurred a years-long effort to increase the fines in such cases and to expand liability so that companies can be held responsible for the actions of a greater range of employees. The version that passed allows the courts to decide restitution without a cap and raises minimum fines to $500,000 for felonies and $300,000 for misdemeanors in cases involving injuries or deaths. We think that's going to catch the attention of the rogue developers and contractors that put their workers' lives at risk in the pursuit of profit, said Mike Hellstrom, business manager for the Mason Tenders. Uh, quote, Ms. Hochul is up for election in November and she enjoys strong support from organized labor, leading supporters of Carlos's uh, law to believe that she will sign it into law soon. The deadline to act on any of the more than 1,000 bills that passed both chambers during the last session is the end of the year. But the Building Trades Employers Association, which represents union contractors, is urging the governor to demand changes to the bill before she does so. In a letter to Ms. Hochul last week, Louis, say, Louis J. Coletti, its president, raised concerns about the bill's potential impact on minority and women-owned contractors, which tend to be smaller and could be put out of business by large fines. Mr. Coletti said judges should be allowed to determine fines, that the, uh, that the law should apply to serious physical injury rather than any injury, and that the standard of culpability should be defined as criminal recklessness." Uh, Quote: "...collecting comprehensive data on criminal cases stemming from workplace injuries and deaths is complicated. Federal regulators occasionally refer cases to the Justice Department for prosecutions, but must meet a high bar of evidence for willful violations that cause the death of an employee. State and local prosecutors may bring charges, as they did in the Moncayo case." In fact, months after Mr. Moncayo's death, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and several other agencies, including the City Department of Investigation, announced the creation of a construction fraud task force to focus on misconduct amid a boom in new construction. Before putting in her vote for the bill, State Senator Jessica Ramos read the names of workers who had died in New York since Mr. Moncayo, noting that most of them were Latino and many were her neighbors in Queens. It is going to be life-saving for families in my district, she said of the bill. So I thought this was an interesting story. I don't think we've, maybe I've never talked about something like the uh, New York City's, you know, union, lack of union construction worker safety um, in New York City before, but it's clearly a big issue. Um, I mean, it it reflects a lot of the issues we see all over the place with um, big businesses exploiting laborers. It happens all the time. So uh, it's very cool to see that. And hopefully this does get passed uh, to protect workers.
0: Awesome. Thank you for bringing that story to light, Emily. I don't think we actually have ever talked about that on the show. I know, Jasmine, you have done uh, quite a few stories about different union groups. This is something that I'm uh, new to the discussion about, but it's Kind of unreal that there is a lack of union. Um, Is that that what she's saying? There's a lack of unionization with New York construction workers?
1: Well, I think the the main thing was about the trying to get these companies to have to pay larger fines when they're in violation. But one of the underlying issues is um, if you are a construction worker and you are not in a union, particularly if you're not unionized and you're undocumented or otherwise marginalized, those types of places are more likely to put you in dangerous work environments because right. it's cheaper for right. them. Um, so yeah, I think it was more in- it was more like a background thing, like part of why unfortunately um, Carlos died is because he was an undocumented non-union employee.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, it's always a good thing to know that people are being pushed to be held accountable for things like this. I think, you know, not only with undocumented people, but a lot of times just in construction in general um, and from the people that I've worked that I've known and had conversations with in the past, you know, they take jobs, uh, these large scale jobs and finish them out as long as that, you know, the work is there And then sometimes they don't have any work for a while and then they have work again. So sometimes they may choose to work in unsafe environments for a lack of opportunities, but also without any protections. And that's unfortunate because that is definitely probably one of the most dangerous jobs out there um, to do. physically.
1: Hello, in the hot sun, you know, you literally can't like you wouldn't have shit if you didn't have, you know, a building to live in. Or to go work at and making sure that all of that is done properly, it's in- extremely important.
0: Yeah, it is, and it's you know, it's something that I don't think there's enough dialogue about because you know we just see these buildings go up, and sometimes you know, especially with regentrification and things like that, you see these buildings go up so fast. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of red tape in getting you know the clearance to start building and all of that stuff, but these workers are just working these long, hard days sometimes. Um, you know, crazy hours, and they don't have the right protections or anything like that. So this is definitely good news.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will say, it makes me think a little bit of how, you know, unfortunately, like when you see these really high profile, terrible cases of like black people that get killed by the police, and even though there's no conviction or anything like that with the justice system you'll see that the family is awarded like a million dollars or millions of dollars in damages or something for having lost their loved one and I'm not saying like I don't begrudge anyone you know getting compensation but at the same time it's like there is no price you can put on a life right and I do feel that sometimes when we're in this language of paying a fine and a fee it's like there are businesses or places that will just take that as the cod that's the cost of doing business and they're like yeah we'll pay this fine whatever but it doesn't necessarily motivate them to actually make the change for this to stop happening because that's the right. root of the problem you know and it's some it's i really it pissed me off like seeing in the article um who was it, like a defense attorney or whatever, saying like, oh, this is really bad for women-owned and minority-owned right, businesses. Right, exactly. It's like, okay, so it's your civil right because you're a woman or you're a minority, you have the right to have people working in unsafe conditions?
0: Absolutely not.
1: You know, and it's like, I, on the other hand, like, I do see how when the only remedy is like monetary damages, the reality is the only people that are going to actually be hurt by it are the people that are not super rich. But then the really big real estate developers and people that have billions of dollars, like they can pay that like it's nothing. So it will, he's not wrong that it would disproportionately impact people that are not super wealthy who do that type of work. But that doesn't make it less wrong. Like, that's not an argument to be like, oh, these rich companies aren't going to really feel the consequence. So neither should my female minority client. Like, what?
0: Yeah, that was an unnecessary commentary. And the reality is, like, how many lives have been lost without these protections already? You know, it sucks that um, in order for people to really consider what some would call invisible people. We have to have so many deaths, so many people have to be sacrificed, and families have to be affected. You know, there is no cost on life. And say you lose someone, um, like the gentleman in the story, that could have been a parent, he could have been a sole provider for that family, and all types of damages. And, and no amount of money could take away um, a substantive person to anyone else. So uh, That's definitely so a move in the right direction. Let's just hope that this really makes an impact.
1: Yeah, and it was like an accident that this even came to light because it just so happened that one of the officers from his past experience recognized what was wrong with the scene. To a lay person, I wouldn't have had no idea. I just would have thought it was a freak accident. Yeah. So, you know, it's just by the grace of God that the right person happened to be there to even recognize like, whoa, they did something wrong. Like how many of these things happen every day all the time and you know the average person is none the wiser and they'll just believe it was a quote-unquote tragic accident yeah. when no it's a very deliberate tactic to keep people down and have people working afraid desperate and unable to really advocate for themselves so sorry to hear about his death It's really terrible but i do hope that this brings about some lasting change
0: exactly we're going to go ahead and hop into our first music break of the day before we hop into the next segment. This song is called Survivor's Guilt and it's by Joey Badass. We'll be right back.
3: I thought I was going crazy, you know? And, like, I realized that I wasn't you know, it was crazy. I realized that it's the system that was built against me, you know? And, like, I'm not supposed to be talking about this. And that's the corruption of it because, like, me just seeing it, it's absurd. And I want people to open up their eyes and realize that I'm not wrong, you know. I, I'm, I'm just an open-minded individual and people should be more open-minded. If, if we're trying to build up our, our lives to have material things and those don't satisfy our needs, what are we living for? It's a mainstream topic I'm guessing I could finally open up and talk about it So, yeah, let's talk about it Come into my mind, I'll show you where the darkest cloud is You ready? I doubt it, but let's go You see Steeler was my bigger bro At a point in time, spiritually, we was in the same boat But I wanted to take it slow He wanted to take it as fast and deep as he could go Pause, yeah, we had some problems, but we're brothers, the stone Sure, then I caught a little wave and headed back to shore And that's when he started drowning and he had no one around him, so partially I feel it's my fault. Yeah. And that right there is my internal wall The reason why I gotta feel these external flaws. The reason why I can't heal these eternal loss. The reason why I gotta feel this survivor some more and here's a message to this fam. I know y'all got emotional drama that I understand, but I couldn't fuck with. Y'all try to tell the world I wasn't who I am, and all I ever try to do was lend a hand. And get the fans the thing that they demand the most King Capital to fucking go. Why? I'm just trying to get my nigga hurt, get him what he deserves. This, uh-huh. this, uh-huh. this one is for you, This one is for you, This one is for you. Junior B Y'all ain't know too much about him So it's up to me This is legacy with the world It kills me to think You'll never meet my baby girl And when I lost June That hurt me in the worst way He even died two days Before his birthday, birthday. Then it brings tears in my eyes My nigga really never made it up to 25 That's Damn. why I'm thinking God Every time I open my eyes At the fact that we alive And we feeling these vibes. Cause we be wow. feeling these voids. Part of me got destroyed Just to put it in song Because I'm still dealing with the fact my niggas is gone Put their names up on the
4: cloud cause that's where they belong As long as I live on They'll forever be known This one for you This one for you yeah. This one is for you no, no. This one is for you, no. you
3: know, forever be known. This, this one, is one for you, you.
2: Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org/donate.
0: Welcome back to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn, and next up is Jasmine with our national news
1: update. Okay, so you know, like every week, there's a lot going on around the country, uh, but I chose to talk about the mass shooting that took place in Highland Park, Illinois. Uh, Most of this information comes from an NPR article entitled, Suspect in Highland Park Shooting is Charged with Seven Counts of First-Degree Murder. It was written on July the 5th, the day after the shooting, by Rachel Treisman. Uh, It's it's fairly lengthy, so I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I'm going to read most of the most vital points of the story. The Highland Park shooting suspect Robert Bobby Cremo III has been charged with seven counts of first-degree murder. What began as a beloved July 4th tradition ended in tragedy after the 21-year-old Cremo opened fire on a holiday parade in the Chicago suburb, killing seven people and injuring dozens more. By Tuesday, officials had identified six six of the seven victims who died. Catherine Goldstein of Highland Park, age 64. Irina McCarthy of Highland Park, age 35. Kevin McCarthy of Highland Park, age 37. Jacqueline Suntime of Highland Park, age 63. Stephen Strauss of Highland Park, age 88. Nicholas Toledo Zaragoza of Morelos, Mexico, age 78. Um, and the the seventh victim was... um identified after this article came out, and his name was Eduardo Uvaldo of Waukegan, and he was age 69. More than three dozen others were injured in the attack, officials said. The police had two prior interactions with the gunman. Prior to Monday's mass shooting, Cremo was involved in two separate incidents. The most recent incident happened in September 2019, when a family member told police that Cremo had a knife collection and was, quote, going to kill everyone, according to authorities. Police responded to the scene and removed the 16 knives from Cremo's home. Uh, And this is from NBC News. At that time, 16 knives, a sword and a dagger were confiscated but the suspect wasn't arrested because family members declined to sign any complaints. In April 2019, someone alerted police after Cremo attempted to kill himself, according to authorities. Police spoke with both Cremo and his parents, in which they learned mental health professionals were handling the situation the suspected gunman had planned the attack for weeks and disguised himself as a woman in an attempt to conceal his identity, officials said Tuesday. He dressed in women's clothing and possibly a wig, fired more than 70 rounds into the crowd from the roof of a nearby business, said Sergeant Christopher Cavelli of the Lake County Major Crime Task Force. Cremo used a high-powered rifle, which Cavelli described as similar to an AR-15. Then he reportedly dropped the rifle and escaped with the crown, almost as if he was an innocent spectator, before walking to his mother's home and borrowing a vehicle. Eight hours after the attack, after authorities had publicly identified Cremo as a person of interest and released a description of his car, a police officer spotted the 2010 Silver Honda Fit driving southbound and conducted a traffic stop. Police discovered a second rifle inside the car, according to Cavelli. He added that Cremo is believed to have purchased both firearms legally in separate locations in the Chicagoland region. Investigators also recovered other firearms from his residence in nearby Highwood, though Cavelli did not specify, specify how many. Cremo had purchased five firearms. Two rifles, some pistols, and possibly a shotgun, according to Cavelli, who told reporters, I believe it was in 2010. I believe it was in 2020 and 2021. The weapons were seized by authorities at the home of Cremo's father on Monday. The suspect is believed to have acted alone, and the shooting appears to be completely random, Cavelli said investigators have no information to suggest that it was motivated by race, religion, or any other protected status, he added. So, mind you, that's Officer Cavelli saying this, that's not my opinion. Uh, The Jewish Telegraphic Agency reports that about one-third of Highland Park's roughly 30,000 residents are Jewish. The suspected gunman is an aspiring rapper who goes by the name Awake the Rapper and posts music videos on YouTube and other social media platforms. NPR's Cheryl Corley tells Morning Morning Edition that some of those videos are ominous and violent, including one that shows a stick figure with an automatic rifle and a person lying in a pool of blood. Another shows a person in a classroom pulling on a tactical helmet and vest and reaching into a backpack. Those videos have since been taken down, Corley reports. His family is known in the community, according to Corley. His father runs a convenience store in the area and ran for mayor of Highland Park in 2019, losing to his opponent by more than a two-to-one margin. Those who were wounded in Monday's shooting ranged in age from age 8 to 85 years old, including four or five children. The incident at the Highland Park Parade was one of several mass shootings that took place across the country on the 4th of July. According to a tracker from the Gun Violence Archive, one person was killed and a total of 18 injured and five other mass shootings in Massachusetts, California, Missouri, Virginia, and Chicago. The nonprofit defines mass shootings as incidents in which a minimum of four victims, excluding the shooter, are shot and either injured or killed. By their count, there have already been 314 mass shootings in the U.S. this year, and we're only a little more than halfway through the year. Um, And just as a note, this was reported in the Chicago Sun-Times there's a a Jewish security group that says, after seeing photos of Robert E. Bobby Cremo III, a Highland Park rabbi recognized him as the man turned away from a Passover service at his synagogue in April. Um, So that's the end of the recap information that I have for this particular story. It's um, still developing, but very upsetting.
0: It's always upsetting to hear about people who prey on innocent people at any time and then actually murder them for no reason. I've been seeing a lot of um, this meme this week, comparing this guy um, to Jalen Walker, which is no comparison at all. Have you seen that?
1: Uh, I didn't see a meme, but there, even in that NPR up, there was someone who was saying, you know, the difference between the way, You know, you have one, a black man being shot nearly 100 times for what's a traffic violation. And then you have someone who has shot, fired 70 rounds into a crowd and they're taken away alive. Right. I I didn't see any memes.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much the point um, of it. And not trying to take anything away from this story because it's definitely important to report it as well. But it is, you know, it ain't no accident that um, most of these mass shooters live, live while people who are not trying to hurt others die um, for horrible fucking reasons. But nonetheless, you know, our prayers is up. Well, my prayers are up definitely for the families of these victims um, who, you know, simply, sometimes there's just no words you can say um, in situations like this. But obviously, you know, this shooter like many of the others, was not treated any differently. And it's unfortunate that, you know, that's how this thing ends out. I'm not saying that this person should have been murdered, but people who murder other people, in my opinion, definitely should be penalized, criminalized, and anything else they can be. So I'm not here to judge, but that is the truth.
1: Yeah, there's a few things about this story that, you know, other than the obvious loss of life and the injuries the way that it's being talked about, I felt there were some things that I thought were red flags. It's like initially when I first heard about it, there was a lot of like mentioning Chicago and I'm like, I don't know. And from what I'm able to gather, it's not, it's like technically a Chicago suburb, but I think that especially with the way Chicago is often used as like a racist dog whistle by people on the right to talk about gun violence or to make it seem like having strong uh gun laws isn't really working. It's like people will bring up Chicago. And I'm like, why are they trying to link it cuz it's not that close. It looked from Googling from Chicago to Highland Park, it looks like it's about almost 50 minutes driving, which is a fairly long way. Also, there was a lot of um, on NPR and in other outlets saying that, oh, there was no motive. We don't think that this was motivated by any kind of prejudice. This person was just a part of these dark web communities. And I'm like, if he was in those groups, those groups are full of people that are anti-Semitic. They're racist. They're misogynist. You know, like maybe he didn't leave behind a manifesto. But I think it's really irresponsible to make it seem like this was just a complete, totally random thing, especially since, you know, you have at least this one group of guards at the synagogue in the neighborhood saying that they saw this person seemingly scoping out their place of worship months ago. You know, So I think it's one thing to say that maybe you haven't found something that's super concrete where you can definitely say what his motive was, but I think that that's different from making it seem like there's no reason to believe that it was motivated by any kind of bigotry. Cause I, I find that very hard to believe.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. I agree with you. Um, you know, these groups that are in formation daily and get galvanizing young people. And, um, you know, a lot of them are generational And families and families have upon families are gearing their people towards them and just, you know, really giving them uh, backing and support. You know, they do formulate um, all types of bigotry and and racist talk and belief in all types of people. You know, um, all it takes is one person to believe them. And before you know it, uh, we have hatred just brewing about and being. Um, well played unfortunately on other people's lives so definitely not an excuse for anybody to do something because it's what your family does or what you're being pushed into but there are people who are being built to be just like this shooter and all the others as well
1: Yeah. And like, I don't know if you are following, but the father is also, people are looking at him funny because he's the one that um, sponsored him to be able to get these weapons. Because at the time that um, the suspect purchased them, he was underage. So you couldn't get it unless you had like an adult sponsoring you. So in NBC, they were reporting that the 21-year-old was too young to get a gun permit in 2019 from Illinois, but his father sponsored one for him despite previous threats by his son to harm himself and loved ones. He was still under 21 in 2020 when he purchased the weapon that he allegedly used in Monday's attack, and that was only possible because his father sponsored his firearm owner's identification application. And you know, I I don't know his dad personally, obviously, but I wouldn't be surprised if he comes from a household with some right-wing, right-leaning beliefs and, you know, they're going to the gun range and all of this and you know that your child has threatened to hurt himself, he's threatened to hurt all of the people in the family, he's collecting weapons in the home, like knives and stuff what is going on in your mind that that's someone that needs to have early access to these types of weapons? Like, what's really going on with you that that makes sense? What are your politics that that's something you would do? Exactly. You know, it's not completely random. People come up in environments, whether it's the internet, whether it's their home, the stuff like gaming community sometimes, like they grow up in these spaces where misogyny anti-semitism being racist you know we see this cult of trumpism in this country it's like the air that they breathe because it's all around them and then when they turn around and actually take lives it's oh it's no motivation like it doesn't add up to me doesn't add up at all right this just came out of nowhere it never does it never does you know, and once again, the police like after the fact, like, oh, so he had these things on his record, but he could still get the gun that didn't trigger something to be like, no, he shouldn't be allowed to get one. It's it's just it's just I, uh, at the very least, make it harder. But the, these are all things exactly. he got legal legally. He didn't make the gun from scratch. He didn't steal it from somebody. He was aided and abetted by his family to be able to do this and I don't know if you saw on the side of their home there was a news reporter I can't remember the name of the the news channel but while one of the police officers was giving like a press conference thing he was asking about like these prior incidents the people like the women at the home didn't want to talk to the reporter but they there was this elderly couple across the street the reporter was like can I just get on your balcony and take a picture? tell me why the picture that he got from the balcony showed there was this big painting on the side of his house of like a figure with a smiley face on it, holding a rifle. And it matched matched the same mess that he had on this YouTube channel. But people want to act like, Oh, we just, he was a good kid. No. Mm -hmm. Why were you allowing this to go on? And now all these people have lost their lives. It's a two-year-old child that doesn't have their parents anymore because they both got shot going to a parade. Yeah, see yeah. it's it's not just the person, it's an environment that created that shit.
0: Exactly. And and it's building every day. It's building every day, you know. The, it's is unjarring how the details in these stories are so similar. It's like like I said earlier, ain't nothing know under thing.
1: The sun. Same it's thing, the same exactly. Thing. You could play bingo, have a bingo card. Threatening violence against family, check. Yep. Somebody helped them get access to a gun they weren't supposed to have, check.
0: Yep, videos, social media.
1: On the internet, posting pictures, making songs, making video after video, talking about what they're going to do, check. And then when the tragedy happens, everyone has the stuck face like, oh my God, it's just, it's so upsetting. And it was avoidable. This did not have to happen it did not and seven people gone for what (sighs) we're gonna go
0: ahead and take a breather y'all i think we need one after that segment uh before hopping into our world news story the next track is called the night before she passes and it's by jesse ryan we'll be right back
1: You can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks.
0: Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. For our world news segment, um, I will be pulling the information from this story from two different sites. The first part of it is from an article in The Guardian. Um, The title of the article is an editorial, and the title is, um, "Russia's Russia's invasion of Ukraine has exasperated a desperate situation. Famine is not inevitable, but action must be swift. Now go ahead and get started with that. Hunger is stalking the world. Seven years ago, the United Nations vowed to eradicate it by 2030. Yet the number of people affected globally reached 828 million last year, and an unprecedented number, 345 million, are currently experiencing acute food insecurity, the UN has warned. COVID-19 and the climate emergency has seen that tally rise from 135 million people before the pandemic to 276 million by early this year, reflecting a 55% in the Food and Agriculture Organization's food price index since May 2020. We thought it couldn't get any worse, said David Beasley, head of the World Food Program. But the war in Ukraine has exasperated increases in freight and fertilizer costs due to the rising fuel prices and has blocked ports, Ukraine and Russia previously accounted for almost a third of global wheat exports, though the U.S. alleges that Moscow is trying to sell stolen grain in Africa. And many middle-income countries have already spent large parts of their reserves due to the pandemic. Even in wealthier countries, the cost-of-living crisis is seeing more parents going hungry to feed their children. In low-income countries, where people already spend two-fifths of their income on food, rising prices are truly deadly. Around 2.3 billion people face moderate or severe difficulty obtaining enough to eat. In parts of Ethiopia, Somalia, South Sudan, Yemen, and Afghanistan, sections of the population are endearing catastrophic levels of hunger. The repercussion is social unrest and political violence, which are already being seen in some of these countries. Though G7 leaders pledged an extra $4.5 billion to tackle the food crisis last month, that was just a fraction of the $28.5 billion that experts say is needed. And the UK, of course, has cut aid spending overall. Food aid can bring a wealth of problems. The UN Development Program has recommended cash transfers in many cases. Beyond that, a substantive shift in global agricultural policies is needed. Countries should redirect domestic support towards sustainable farming and nutritious foods, reducing their reliance on imports. Others, notably the U.S., should prioritize grain for human consumption over biofuels. Above all, action must be taken urgently. It may be already too late to save some lives. We must prevent more from being lost. For the second part of this story, uh, this is actually a press release from one of the most recent um, UN meetings. Um, The title of the press release, World Facing Unprecedented Hunger Crisis, Deputy Secretary General warns Economic and Social Council, urging governments to support resilience at scale. Um, So the following are the remarks from Secretary General Amina Mohammed's uh, delivery to this meeting. And I will place this up um, on on our social media, on our Facebook If you want to read the whole thing, I just want to pull a segment that I think is relevant for the story. She says, some 193 million people experienced food insecurity across 53 countries or territories in 2021. Acute food insecurity is at a record high. The ripple effects of the conflict in Ukraine are extending human suffering far beyond its borders, threatening global hunger on an unprecedented scale. Ethiopia, Nigeria, South Sudan, and Yemen are the hunger hotspots facing catastrophic conditions, according to the latest report from the World Food Program and from the Food and Agricultural Organization. Afghanistan and Somalia are new entries to this worrisome list. A total of 750,000 people are already facing starvation and death in Ethiopia, Yemen, South Sudan, Somalia, and Afghanistan. The Democratic Republic of the Congo, Haiti, In the Sahel region, Sudan and Syria remain countries of very high concern where conditions are critical and deteriorating. Violence and conflict remain the primary drivers for acute hunger, and conflict levels and violence against civilians have increased in 2022. In particular, conflict has led to new waves of displacement, forcing people to abandon their homes, lands, and livelihoods, reducing the amount of food locally available in their communities. In the Sahel alone, Close to 2.8 million people have been internally displaced. Some 13.6 million children globally under the age of five are suffering from severe acute malnutrition, according to the United Nations Children's Fund. In young children, this is a medical emergency that carries an 11-fold increased risk of dying compared to healthy children. Even if these children survive, they may suffer from stunting which has lifelong consequences. Only one in three of those children has access to treatment. Uh, she goes on to talk about some changes that can be made as uh, far as uh, allocation of funding um, for people who suffer from food insecurity from larger countries. Um, and she also talks about how the war in Ukraine plus COVID-19's um, impact on these communities has just made a dire situation. So that is the premise of... Um, that second portion, the press release, but I just think this is a topic that we need to talk about more. It's going to hit us sooner than later. I'm sure all of us are really tight around the belt right now. Um, You know, the regular cost of food in the community has become um, outstanding for people, everyday people, as well as elderly and children, people in this country, let alone um, our neighbors and people um, on the other side of the world.
1: As somebody who is you know the only dependent that I have currently is a pet but I can imagine you know people you got children to feed elders that depend on you and they're just not being enough is definitely getting very real here and obviously it has been disastrous in other parts of the world it's like I see you know, I often see ads and news articles about what's been happening in Yemen and in the horn of Africa. And it's been years of, you know, things being so dire there, but now it's getting even worse with, you know, we're all so connected globally that, yeah, what happens in one country in Europe that a lot of people maybe weren't thinking about much has these huge ripple effects on the rest of the world. And it's, it's frightening to think about what it's all leading to.
0: Yeah. I mean, the other side of this is how, you know, because of the war and due to the war, you know, they're saying that Russia is stealing grain um, from Ukraine and selling it in Africa where they will be selling it at whatever cost they have. And, you know um, these leaders in Africa who are making decisions, they are not in a, uh, Not all of them are in a place where they can make the most ethical decision about where to get their resources when people are dying of starvation. Um, So this is definitely rippling all over the place. And, you know, when I was in grad school, we did a huge study on the UN development goals. And a big part of my program was understanding how those goals were um, put together and how they could be brought to life from all sectors of the government, civil society, people on the ground, and everyday people as well, and how we contribute um, to the world's ability to save others. And there was no, (laughs) let me tell you, these goals seem so, you know, at one point they seemed a little bit like, okay, this is kind of unreal that people can do this, but the projections, you know, came from years and years of study, Um, of how to help the hunger crisis. And I can guarantee you they had no idea, um, you know, the effects of COVID and and all the other disasters that have happened since then, how it totally put us on a complete different trajectory. Um, And so I was just thinking about that when I was reading this story about how, how much we studied about how resources are allocated. And at this point with these two large weak contributors uh, being at war, this is going to take so long to untangle this part, you know, even if the war stopped tomorrow, the effects of this is going to go on for so long. And it's unfortunate how we all feel it. You know, we all live an interdependent life in this, in this world. And, you know, before let's, let's take a look at this before it's sitting on our front step, you know, it's just, it's overwhelming. Um, But I definitely feel like we need to have more discussions about this and just a better understanding Um, of what's really going on out there. It's not that far away, y'all. It really isn't.
1: It isn't. And, you know, lest we forget, sometimes these issues, depending on the way you're situated in the West, they can seem so far away, but there's hungry people in your backyard. Absolutely. And there's a lot of domestic policies that are incredibly wasteful with, you know, things being produced and like, thrown in the trap, like, people being paid to not grow food, people being paid to destroy certain things, like, all for the sake of keeping prices at a certain level, and, you know, I just think it's, it's messed up how your parents would say, or my mom didn't say it much, but, you know, people will be like, oh, like, you should eat your food because there's starving kids in Africa, and, like, you roll your eyes or whatever, but I, I think, like, in, the grander scheme of things like we should be more aware of where our food comes from. What is, what are the global conditions that allow for people in the U S to have like access to out of season fruit at all times of the year, you know, like all of those things are like connected and we really need more individuals to demand like a shift from This like capitalist mindset and the way that food is produced, how it's treated and really thinking about, you know, people first, it should be about meeting your needs first, not about what you need to do for like a market, you know, because you cannot eat money, you can't eat profits, only the people at the top can do that. So I don't know, maybe... (sighs) it's kind of a dark thought, but sometimes I do feel like, you know, you don't really see mass mobilization to really shake shit up until enough of the right people are affected by something. Because unfortunately, it's like, you know, these stories that come out of parts of Africa or Asia or other parts of the world, I think a lot of people in the West kind of take for granted that You know, when it's happening to somebody else, there's not really that same sense of urgency. But when it starts to creep up on you and you realize that, yeah, you too can be touched by these things that are completely out of your control, I think it might, people might start to get with the program that the system we have is fundamentally broken. It hasn't been working for everyone in the world, and it's not working for the people it used to work for either. So something needs, to, something has got to give, man.
0: Absolutely. Um, like I said, you know, this problem obviously is something that uh, affects everyone. Ultimately, you know, we are all dependent on one another. And the more we talk about this, the more we realize, you know, this capitalistic world that uh, breeds us every day to feel like we just don't have enough when we really have way more than most people in this world. Absolutely. Uh, We have to really start to deprogram ourselves and really be mindful of of our contributions as well as what we're taking, as well as how we're using our resources. Because trust me, the minute it hits these shores in a different type of way, it's going to be too late, y'all. It's already too late. All right, folks, that's it for this week's episode of Objection to the Rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app or on Spotify. Keep listening for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track for this episode is called Die Hard and it's by Nux and Stormzy. See y'all next week. Bye. Have a good week.
5: I was trying to buy a name. I pray to God I'm in the right lane Going out hundred on the highway At the sun, you screaming yippee ki I ain't trying to die hard, I'm trying to die great Dissecting my life on a live base You think I'm here to suit you? You got it sideways You're trying to find ways to tie into my tirades My cashmere got a go night irate I know she lose a mind with the right sway. The finest leather, my endeavors kinda high stakes. I put the stake on the table for the right plate. I put my fork in your thoughts and make you think forward. Thought and I've endured. I show first like my drink's poured. Figured it just can't get any worse, so I risk more. Got a nigga trying to unlearn shit I've been taught. I was trying to buy a name. I pray to God I'm in the right lane. Going out 100 on the highway. At the sun, you screaming, if you die, yeah. I ain't trying to die hard, I'm trying to die great. Dissecting my life on a live base. You think I'm here to suit you, you got it sideways You're Trying to find ways to tie into my tirades Now you really got it backwards Cat G, when you see me we go have words A man swerve on the beat like a mad burst But she can never put me on the back burner w- Wanna take it there, I'll take it back further Knocks his head at the rebellion like I'm Nat Turner Man's word, I can never be a man's worker Work the plan, we can never let the plan work us. I was trying to buy a name. I pray to God I'm in the right lane Going a hundred on the highway At the sunroof, screaming yippee you yay I ain't tryna die hard, I'm tryna die great Dissecting my life on a live base You think I'm here to suit you, you got it sideways Tryna find ways to tie into my time Niggas too fake, I'm tryna be real My brother empty out the clip and then he refill old school, I don't ever let the tea spill from way back when mummy used to tell me keep still, if it's less than 8 figures that's a weak deal, someone told me that success is just a steep hill I'll pay good money for a cheap thrill I'm Rashford if you're fucking with my free meal boom, nowadays I stay oblivious in the hood with geniuses and illiterates, she just want that fog love, I do it vigorous, and it's never trouble trying to find out mm. they wanna be big mate but they stay lean put the culture on my chest and push the weight clean
1: If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter.